Welcome to the Neophotonics Podcast. I'm John Houghton, and this is a program where we talk about insights and best practices for optical communications, lasers, and their applications. Today we're talking about lasers and components that propel the next big leap in data transmission. Our Neophotonics guests include Janet Chen, PhD and Product Line Manager for Coherent Modulator and Receiver, Mike Desmond, Product Line Manager for Tunable Lasers, Winston Wei, PhD and Chief Technology Officer, and Ferris Lipscomb, PhD and Vice President of Marketing. How's everybody doing? Fine, how are you? Doing well, John, thanks. Pretty good, thank you, John. Great. So Winston, go ahead and lead out with your first question. Okay. Um, in the last six to eight months, we have seen a number of press releases regarding 800 gigabit per second field trials for both metro and long haul systems. These uh, trials were based on 90 to 90 gigabit transponders in line cars. So due to this uh, high baud rate up to 96 gigabit, uh, 400 gigabit per second per wavelength now can achieve a transmission distance of 4,000 kilometers. 600 gigabit per second can achieve a distance of 2,000 kilometers. And even at 800 gigabit per, per second, a distance of 800 kilometer is achievable. So obviously um, the optical components in these line cars must exhibit superior performance in order to enable these record breaking distances. So um, let me ask uh, Janet the first question. So Janet, as the PLM of Neophotonics Coherent Driver Modulator or CDM, and uh, also Intradyne Coherent Receiver or ICR, could you please first tell us about the basic functions of the uh, two components and then let us know the important performance features a CDM and an ICR should have in order to support 90 plus gigabit transmission systems. Thanks, Winston. Yeah, uh, so definitely we are living in the world of excitement and we are happy to collaborate with our customers to achieve the best of class performance and pushing the envelope of the technology. And of course, uh, our CDM and ICR are optical component that converts in between the electrical signal and optical signal. So. For example, the CDN or the coherent driver modulator is a device that converts electrical signal, mostly coming from the coherent DSP and converted to the optical domain. And we manipulate the light in amplitude, phase and polarization so that we can carry much more data uh, amount onto the same one single channel uh, or the wavelength, the optical wavelength. And architecture-wise, a CDM is configured as the nested uh, Maxander modulator pairs. That is a device that you can basically convert the electrical signal into the optical domain. On the other hand, ICR or the intradyne coherent receiver is a device to do the exactly opposite. Basically, it converts the optical signal back to the electrical domain and feedback to the DSP so that the, uh, the digital signal processor can do much more uh, signal processing to the signal. But basically the ICR, the coherent receiver, is a combination of a coherent mixer with four pairs of the balanced photo detector that's basically uh, demodulate the optical signal. 
all this device are complied to the OIF implementation agreement that defines a standard a mechanical format so that uh, this is basically allows multiple vendor to supply very similar device in a mechanical form. So our customer can choose the best of class. Of course, Neophotonics CDM and ICR, we are thrive for the best performance in the industry. And not just the performance itself, we are also thrive for the ability to deliver in volume. We're not talking about one device, 10 device as a heroic device in the, in the lab, in the research lab, but we are talking about in the scale of thousands or even 10,000s of um, unit shipments. So Neophotonics is actually has a very long history of making coherent optics. We have deep understanding at the device level of the device physics, system level testing, and the link budget, et cetera. And we are a long time contributor to the standard. All in all, that allows us to be very, uh, we have a very deep understanding of the optical, coherent optics component itself so that we can provide the best performance to our customer. Having talked about uh, Neophotonics Premium coherent transmitter, modulator, and uh, receiver, let's now turn to the light source for 600 and 800G metro regional long-haul systems. And they should be wavelengths tunable. So Mike, as the POM of uh, Neophotonics laser products, could you please tell us the important performance features a tunable laser should have when uh, they are used in a 90 plus gigabyte transmission systems? Sure, Winston, I'd be happy to. A little bit of quick background, you know, for our lasers, all of our tunable lasers, uh, we have an external cavity-based design, which has been quite successful at the lower baud rates of typical, say, 100, 200 gig systems. When we talk to customers and we look at what they're focused on for 600 and 800G and, and even beyond, there are several features or specifications that they focus on. Uh, the perhaps the first and most important one uh, would be the line width and the phase noise. Those are somewhat related in that what they're looking for, customers in this case, are looking for a very narrow line width and a very low phase noise, particularly at certain frequencies. And that allows them uh, to get both a longer distance for the same type of, uh, of other features or parameters and more capacity uh, into the fiber itself. Uh, once they have that problem uh, solved, they're also looking for a high optical output power. Typically, 16, 17 dBm or even higher can help them as they're working for longer distance and get higher capacity in their system. And our laser typically provides industry-leading line width and phase noise as well as higher optical output power. Somewhat secondary but still important to them would be power consumption. Uh, from a port density standpoint, they're always looking, customers are looking to reduce the power consumed by the laser as they're, they're trying to install more line cards or more modules into a, a given faceplate. Uh, frequency accuracy and stability is also very important as more wavelengths are, are placed into the fiber and more bandwidth is utilized in the fiber. The ability of the laser to maintain a very narrow frequency range and to be stable over its lifetime is, is critical. Otherwise, it, it causes problems with adjacent wavelengths and adjacent data. And lastly, uh, again, because of, of fiber exhaust, customers are looking for as, as many wavelengths as they can put into a fiber, which uh, puts 
some emphasis on the, the ability of the laser to transmit across a very wide optical spectrum, which again uh, is, is a, a strength of the ECL-based design. Uh, so I would say those are probably the fir- top four or five parameters or requests from customers as they look for the light source for the 600 or 800G and above uh, lasers. And Mike, I heard that uh, um, this uh, OIF standard, 400ZR uh, standard, they, uh, their requirement on laser line width and uh, face noise is not that stringent. Do you know why that is the, the fact? Well, in that case, for the 400 GZR, they're they're running at a at a bit of a lower. Uh, uh, you know, their, their baud rate isn't extremely high, and their distance is 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 not particularly long. So they're able to withstand a bit of a uh, of a of a wider or a broader line width, and their phase noise requirements aren't quite as stringent. Although they they do have some stringent requirements over some specific parts of the spectrum. Uh, of the phase noise, but I think it's primarily, you know, Winston, due to uh, the fact that the, the transmission distance isn't particularly long compared to, say, some other solutions that are out there for going longer distances at the higher baud rates. Right. I think ZR distance is only up to 120 kilometers. Th- that's right. Rate, yeah. Yeah, and, and the baud rate is, although the baud rate is reasonably high, it's it's not as high, certainly, at 600, 800G as some of the baud rates that customers are looking at for that, for those applications. And, and to your point, the 120 kilometers, while it isn't particularly very short, it's also not the hundreds of kilometers or even thousands of kilometers that other uh, customers or other applications need. So I think that's primarily why the their, that particular application is able to withstand uh, a bit broader line width and some additional phase noise. Although it should be pointed out that there's never that there's never a downside to a narrower line with a lower phase noise. It does allow uh, some other uh, parameters to be relaxed if the laser is particularly uh, clean light. Yeah, I, I think 400ZR baud rate is about 60 gigabaud and mm-hmm. uh, 600 gigabit, uh, they need a baud rate up to 70 gigabaud and 800 gigabit system, they need a baud rate up to 96 gigabaud. So I guess uh, the baud rate is quite different. That's right. And I think, you know, as, as we've seen and uh, both some work, I think that we've done, as others have done, that the effect of line width and phase noise becomes um, even more critical as those, as those, uh, as the baud rates continue to go up as we get to say 600, 800 G. And we're seeing that with, with the work we're doing with customers now. And uh, when they do their testing and they do their analysis, and frankly, when they do their models, that, that's why they, they, they like the specifications and the performance of our laser is it, it gives them the, uh, some flexibility and, and gives them the maximum capacity and distance in their applications. Uh, Mike, is there any difference uh, between the laser, the tunable lasers used for 400ZR modules and uh, those used for 600 and 800G uh, line card uh, systems? There is a there there is a bit of a difference in in form factor, Winston. the The module designs tend to be focusing on, on what we call, and the industry is calling the nano ITLA, which is a smaller version of the more standard and longer running micro ITLA, which is a larger design. The line card vendors are still utilizing the micro ITLA, although again, getting back to the, we talked about earlier, port density uh, design issues, the nano ITLA is, is starting to become 
uh, I think, a key factor for the next generation line cards at 800G and above. So we have customers looking uh, for that. In, in our particular case, the fundamental laser design is very similar. Uh, again, because we use an external cavity laser, and the laser is, is quite high performance, although over time we've refined and we've been able to increase output power and we have been able to reduce noise, et cetera, the fundamental design remains the same at the optical block level. What we're seeing is a reduction of overall size and overall power consumption as we go from micro to nano. So the 400 GZR customers and applications are almost exclusively focused on the nano uh, because the micro simply is too large to fit into the module form factors that most customers are working on. The micro, again, is still the, the laser of choice for line cards, although I see that changing with the next generation of line cards starting to be designed next year because the, the nano, in our case, the nano does not give away any optical performance. It still performs as well as the micro. Uh, however, it is smaller, which aids the designers in, 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 in their overall design for density. Yeah, I had another question for Janet. You've described how um, reach, the distance that signals can travel, goes further as you move to higher baud rates. So, and assuming that the um, that the components can be made, um, are there any drawbacks to to going to higher uh, baud rates? Yes, indeed, Faris. So, as we know, higher baud rate also basically means a higher, a wider bandwidth of for the data. And in order to achieve that in the in the in the channel, it will require a wider channel spacing. So let me take a analogy here. So basically, we're transmitting data traffic. You can think this is a data highway. So the car lane, the width of the car lane is the channel spacing, and the width of the car itself you can consider that as a channel bandwidth. So the wider of the car the more information you can carry within the single car. You can, we can use that analogy for now. So in good old days, the car land is much wider than the, car, the width of the car. So basically by increasing the car width, or we can say that the ball rate here, we basically increase the data throughput without touching the, the channel spacing because we have a more room. But nowadays we are basically approaching to the limit of the technology we are reaching the the spectral density of the one single fiber that can allow uh, that the physics can allow which we call actually call it Shannon limit so because of that even from this point onwards even we want to increase the ball rate it will actually requires a wider channel width so basically our car is almost the same width as the car lane so by wider widening the car itself we need to widen the car lane also and you also you you still have the same width of your freeway so that's why you are not actually increasing the total amount of data you are transmitting you basically trans more within one single channel but you have less channel yes if the channels have to be broader that means um, fewer channels can fit in the standard uh bands that are used in most fiber communications. Doesn't that limit the amount of information that can be transmitted? I understand there's a new type of laser that adds more channels and extends the bands. So Mike, maybe you could comment on that. Yeah, thanks, Ferris. That's correct. As over time, as we've been able to, again, make some improvements to the laser, we do offer lasers that can perform over a broader 
wavelength spectrum than standard C-band. Uh, we have a laser that we call C++ that adds channels uh, which can make up for the broadening you discussed, and therefore overall the capacity into the fiber increases. And that's a, a significant advantage for customers where you know, fiber is so expensive to where fiber uh, exhaust may be an issue and fiber is so expensive to lay. So we have that product and uh, it's, it's now available uh, and it's been shipping for some time. And what's the reason that uh, uh, external cavity laser can have a, such a wide uh, tuning range, such as uh, uh, like 25 to 50% more than today's C-band? Uh, so what I think, Winston, there's several advantages to the external cavity design, and, and, and perhaps one of the most basic is because the cavity is external and therefore uh, it's it's not tied to the physical chip in, in, the, in the case of, say, a, perhaps a DBR or a DFB-based laser, we, we have some flexibility in how we design the cavity, and, and that allows us to do several things. Getting back again to the line width and the phase noise, one of the key advantages of an external cavity, and particularly a longer cavity, like we're able to, to, to build and to manufacture, that does allow the line width to be narrow and can cause the phase noise to be quite low. And again, because we have external tuning ability, in other words, the cavity is, is, is generated external to the laser source itself, uh, we're able to offer a greater flexibility because of the flexibility we have in those components and the internal filters that are used in, in the laser, where a chip-based design that uses grading, it's much more difficult because the, the change has to be made at the chip level, and then it has to be manufacturable in a high yield, where we have that, uh, it's external to the chip and uh, more controllable in our manufacturing process. Yeah, I think in, in our case, the, uh, the only limitation in the wavelength tuning is the GAN chip. While for DBR right. laser, for DBR laser, the limitation also comes from the, uh, the, the two mirrors, which are formed by uh, gratings, right? So they are much more uh, wavelength limited than, than uh, external cavity. Yeah, I think that's correct. When we look at the the three or four key components that limit our tuning ability, filters, et cetera, the, it is the gain chip that eventually, due to gain issues, roll-off issues, et cetera, it's the gain chip that limits us. It's not the actual tuning capability of the laser cavity itself. And we're always looking to improve that and to make changes. I think so far, we've done a, a, a pretty good job at it. And, and C++ is a, is a pretty broad spectrum. And of course, that that... A C++ laser is is uh, is only workable if there's other components as CDM, et cetera, and filters and other that they can they can go with it. So for now, I think the laser is actually uh, probably at the limit of what it can do, and probably at the limit of what other components can do, at least for this generation. So, and does it extend into the L band? We do have an L band uh, laser, Ferris, uh, and actually we have uh, we're looking at extending the L band itself. We do not currently have a laser that can do C and L band uh, in one design. We, we've looked at it in the past and we'll continue to look at it, uh, but it, it really gets back to what Winston mentioned as some gain chip limitations. I think the filters themselves likely could do it, although I'm not entirely sure, but the gain chip is simply not capable of providing uh, a, a gain across that wide that wide band. So for now, it is two devices for us. We have a C-band laser and an L-band. Both of those, however, are available and extended. So if you add them together, it's, it's a quite a broad coverage. Yes, an L-band is very important for certain uh, um, data center interconnect applications where there's fiber exhaust as well as certain international applications. 
Yeah, that, that's right. We've uh, we've seen a, a pretty significant increase in L band from time to time. You know, as we, we mentioned earlier, fiber exhaust can be handled several ways. Uh, there are some customers who look at the C version, and then uh, there's others, as you mentioned, particularly in say Japan or Asia, uh, where there's L band or the, the DCI customers. And so L band has been uh, quite a, a good business for us for quite some time, and again, that's a it's a mature product product for us that is shipping in volume. By the way, Neophotonics CDM and ICR are also available for C++ and L-Band in production right now. Neophotonics can actually be a single-stop shop for the extended wavelength components. Good. Thanks, Janet. Do you see any performance difference between C and L-Band uh, tunable lasers? We see a slight difference, uh, Winston, although it's relatively minimal. Uh, it, it's more difficult to ship the absolute high power lasers in L-band just from a pure physics standpoint because of the you know the, of the wavelength uh, and of the gain chip itself. So that's really the only difference, though. All other parameters that we talked about: line width, phase noise, output power. Uh, well, output power. I'm sorry, is the one that's slightly different. Uh, power consumption. Nothing else changes in any real noticeable way. But we typically ship a little bit lower output power version of the L-band. I see. By about, let's say, half to one dB. It's, it's not a huge difference, but we, we can't quite get the highest power out of an L-band as we can of a C-band. Thanks, Mike. And we'd like to thank our audience for listening. You've been listening to the Neophotonics Podcast, your source for insight and best practices for optical communications, lasers, and their applications. If you have feedback, a comment, or a question for one of our experts to answer on the podcast, you can write to us at podcast at neophotonics.com or call 408-904-2401. Thank you. Thank you.